steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! Welcome back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I'm BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, we're going to be recapping, slash talking about, slash discussing the events of the Super Bowl uh, yesterday, including the halftime because I, halftime show, because I have some thoughts on that, um, which is should be fun. Uh, and then we'll finish up our... <laughs> We'll finish up our uh, season one of the Unbelievable Podcast with a defensive review, um, how Mike Zimmer's defense performed, uh, which guys uh, you know played well, which ones didn't play so well, and obviously we'll take a you know a short glance toward the future and what may be to come um, as we embark on uh, this off season of Vikings football. So uh, that is the game plan for today. I'm going to say this again, and it's probably going to be wrong. I think this is going to be a short episode. Um, but it may, it may very well not be because it never is when I say that. So um, that's the game plan. Uh, let's hop right into it here. Uh, let's start with the Super Bowl. Um, and to me, it's okay. So first and foremost, that Super Bowl was one of the best Super Bowls that I've seen in probably about a decade mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, you can make an argument for the Philadelphia Uh, New England won or the New England Atlanta won, but really the big difference here is just the fact that New England wasn't in it. So um, you get a change of pace, you get a whole group of new players involved, um, and you get a change in kind of the dynamic of the NFL. You know, the face of the league, I think, probably shifts to Pat Mahomes as of yesterday uh, because of the way he performed and uh, the way that game just ultimately kind of fell into um, the Chiefs' lap, uh, whether you believe that it is a result of a breakdown of San Francisco um, or, you know, an offensive performance for the history books in the fourth quarter by uh, Kansas City and Andy Reid. Um, so that's kind of where I stand just right from the start. Um, watching that game, enjoying that game, what did, what, did, what did you think? Are you happy with the result first and foremost? I like That was kind of the yeah. one thing that I thought about going into this. I had no rooting interest. I had to make, I had to make right. a bet in order to root for a team. It's like, it, yeah, I mean, yeah, because it's like on one hand, you know, like Andy Reid finally gets the Super Bowl. Like, right. uh, you know, he's the guy that's deserved it forever. Um, easy to root for. But then, like, on the other hand, like Tyreek Hill wins the Super Bowl. And then, and Frank you know, on Clark, the flip side, too. like, right. And then on the flip side, you get, you know, if the Niners would have won, then, you know, Nick Bosa would have won the Super Bowl. So, like, right. it, there's, you know, there it's, it's however you feel about those guys, whatever. But, uh, I mean, I think it's really cool that Andy Reid finally won. Um, and I think the the one rooting interest I did have was like, I think I said this on Twitter too, but like if the 49ers were to have won, then kind of my take on like if Jimmy G can win the Super Bowl, Kirk Cousins absolutely can in Minnesota. My take on that would have been a little bit validated. Um, so that's a fair point. from that respect, that's kind of the only rooting interest I had. But I mean, I have no problems with Kansas City winning and Patrick Mahomes is very easy to root for and he's really fun. and. Right. Uh, so yeah, I got no problems with it, and it was, I mean, it's pretty nuts. He was five and zero this year when trailing with double digits, uh, like playoffs and regular season, which is just bananas. <laughs> That's literally where he hits prime form. Uh, one of the guys I was watching the game with, uh, he, he mentioned that like in the you know at the, towards the end of the third quarter, um, I bet on the Chiefs, so I was kind of you know I was not thrilled about the way the game was looking heading into the fourth quarter, and. Uh, he, the guy that I was sitting there with, he was like, you know, they're they're just handing the ball to prime Mahomes. Like this is what he does best, just air the ball out. They're taking away. Like you want, yeah, you want them to stop. If you're the Chiefs, you want to stop running the football. You want to throw more. Like they, the 49ers literally played right into their hands. And of course, the Chiefs got the stops. The Chiefs defense got the stops at the right time. Um, you know, a couple key plays made there by Frank Clark and whatnot. Jimmy G also missed a couple of big throws. He, there was That's, a couple he just the, the one like, to Manuel I think the Sanders deep one, yeah the deep one to Sanders would have been a touchdown and that would have that would have won him the Super Bowl by the way I think Kirk Cousins makes that throw just just for the record as Ooh, a Vikings okay. connection I think I think because I've seen Cousins hit that throw over the I top mean, to the Diggs I mean the Thielen throw times. wasn't 
was pretty similar. The Thielen throw was pretty similar. And Sanders uh, so, had three steps. I think, was it Tyron Matthew or was it the... I don't remember who it was. Uh, it doesn't matter. But whoever it was, he had three steps on him easily. He was he was walking into the end zone if he, if he catches that ball. But unfortunately, Jimmy G airmailed it by like five five yards. And uh, I think a lot of us that have been... I think, well, it's been you a lot, honestly. A lot of us that have been talking about how Jimmy G is, you know, an, a, a solid quarterback, but not great... Uh, it reinforced the narrative that that's exactly what he is. He he got him there, but he's not like... Well, there's a reason, too. At, I don't know if you saw over the past couple of weeks, you know, during the, the build-up to the Super Bowl, there was just... There, someone brought back the rumors, I guess whatever you want to call them, of that, you know, Kyle Shanahan initially wanted Kirk in San Francisco with him. Uh, that was his choice. That was his guy um, to bring over. And then the... You know, the, then Jimmy G became available, and the Niners ended up trading for Jimmy G instead. Uh, but it sounded like that was kind of Shanahan's goal, or that was his game plan in San Francisco, was to convince the front office to bring in Kirk Cousins as a long-term guy. So, kind of the interesting parallel there that that comparison has been made, at least by Vikings fans, kind of the whole season as the Niners have been so good, winning all these games. Vikings have kind of been on the brink, and really their games are kind of similar in a way. I think I. Th- think in my opinion Kirk has more arm talent um, but I guess we you don't know, obviously as we know so much context goes into evaluating you know how good a quarterback is playing and so but yeah it's just it was one of those like that was my thought going in is I don't think Jimmy G's that good but if he can win the Super Bowl game then well the Vikings can with Kirk and it's just about getting the, the team around him and that's what the 49ers were they're that complete team in quotes like they had great players on offense great players on defense they were the complete team whereas kansas city was kind of um you know the perception they're just this offensive powerhouse and yeah. for three quarters it seemed like the complete team uh model was the model to win a super bowl but then you know of course patrick mahomes did patrick mahomes things right absolutely so i i, th- I want to go back to what you said about the dynamic of trying to find which team you want to win looking at this game as an objective fan so i assume the you know 98% of the people who listen to the show were watching this game as vikings fans and you know i maybe some of you who are older fans have um something against the chiefs because of the way that yeah. things have unfolded in you know a long long time ago um but generally speaking there's like neither of these teams were unlikable at like at face value. Like the 49ers are a really well-run organization. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are very good people that have sparkling reputations. You know, John Lynch has the Hall of Fame caliber career. Kyle Shanahan grew up with Mike Shanahan as his father. Like, you know, there's no nepotism there. He's actually great at what he does. Like, you know, two beautiful stories there and getting to the Super Bowl, going from 3-13 and 13 to where they are. Then on the flip side, you got Andy Reid, which, and this is, that was kind of the, the game breaker for me was Andy Reid because you remember all the times that he lost in the NFC Championship with Donovan McNabb and then ultimately lost, lost in the Super Bowl because Donovan McNabb was hungover and Terrell Owens was uh, broken in half, basically. And... Ultimately, that's that dynasty kind of ends with you know a couple of guys being you know not very team first players, I suppose to put it kindly. And you just you look back at this and then you see Doug Peterson win, and you're just like Jesus Christ, can we give Andy Reid a Super Bowl? He's the winningest coach in NFL history without a Super Bowl ring. This guy deserves it more than anyone. And you know that there's going to be some dickhead voter out there that's not going to put him in the Hall of Fame unless he wins a Super Bowl. Like, can we please get this guy his Super Bowl so that he can be inducted into the Hall of Fame as he rightfully deserves? One of the greatest innovators of our time. One of the best coaching tree, maybe the best coaching tree. Yeah, you know, based off of the performance of his, you know, the guys that have you know moved on. Doug Peterson, Matt Nagy. I know this year wasn't great for him, but in general, Matt Nagy's a pretty damn good coach. Um, Eric Bieniemy will eventually be a great head coach too. I'm sure. I mean, you look at just all the things that he's done. So finally, get this. Like that's just um, that was the difference maker for me, but. And I'm sure you get this too, but every time around Super Bowl time, you get the texts from your friends who don't care about football, who are just trying to find because uh, they're going to watch the Super Bowl. Everyone's going to watch the Super Bowl, but they don't have any idea what's going on. They don't particularly care about the result, but they want to be involved. You know, they want to find a way to like have a relationship with this game. And you start getting the text saying like, "Who do I root for? Who do I do this? Whatever." And so I was talking to one of my coworkers that does not care about football in the least, but was watching the game with her parents and. Uh, she was like, who do I root for? And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm breaking it down from the perspective that, you know, you look at it 
you look at this game from the rosters of these teams, and there's, you know, you mentioned Tyreek Hill, obviously, so that's the first one right there where you're like, okay, Tyreek Hill sucks. He's one of the worst people on the planet. He shouldn't even be in the NFL. But so he's on this team. But then you got Nick Bosa, who is, yeah. you know, as outspoken as they come. I mean, I don't really buy that he's a true racist, but he has said some very interesting things in the past. Um, and I'm not going to get into politics, but you know his stance on Trump and all that stuff, which is for 50% of the population rubs them the wrong way, obviously. And um, then you've got Frank Clark, who has the domestic abuse allegations, and he gets traded there from Seattle. And, I mean, there's all of the – like, there's this power dynamic trying to determine, okay, which – team do I want to choose from you know there's these great guys on one side and there's great guys on the other side and then there's like the pitfall of like just terrible terrible human beings at the bottom and it's like it's the better of two evils or are you looking at this with your glass half full and thinking all right yeah. we're picking you know the opportunity to get you know Travis Kelsey deserves a ring I don't particularly like Travis Kelsey but does he deserve a ring absolutely um, he gets to match his brother ring for ring now and they get to have that little fun you know that I liked, I liked seeing that kind of storyline. You know, it would have been cool to see Jimmy G get a ring. You know, getting out of Tommy Bre- uh, Tom Brady's shadow. Um, you know, obviously Pat Mahomes is as deserving as any human on the entire planet of you know this type of uh, you know ending to a season, especially the season that he had. You know, we forget about the fact that he almost missed the remainder of the season with that knee dislocation, um, just because of the way he performed down the stretch. I mean, this was just a really interesting game with so many crazy storylines. And ultimately, I feel like, you know, the right the mm-hmm. team that deserved it more, that had more deserving people, um, they got the W. Yeah, I mean, that and I think they just, going into this game, I, I don't know, I felt just that, the, the, like, it, the offensive powerhouse team, uh, the way the NFL is built now and how creative and head coaches are, specifically Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. now, it's also going to be thrown in there right. uh, with Kansas City, but how creative teams are offensively and just how talented quarterbacks are now, that just seems to be the advantage over building one of those quote-unquote complete teams that San Francisco had. So I kind of thought Kansas City was would win. They're more deserving. Andy Reid, long time coming. So uh, I think it's good Kansas City won, but uh, San Francisco, I think they're going to be you know a tough contender for a while here as well so but i kind of wanted to get in now to this halftime show thing because apparently yes. you've got some spicy take or something well i have some thoughts okay so I'll, um i have i watched this i watched the halftime show like everyone else um and let me give you let me break this down for you my my initial kind of perception looking in here as a fan of music i don't particularly care for shakira or uh Jennifer Lopez, their music is just not my style. I mean, Hips Don't Lie absolutely bangs, but like, let's be real here, like that's the only song that I would listen to from Shakira. Uh, <laughs> but this this performance is so polarizing, right? Have you guys, I, I assume you have, because I know that you like Twitter as much as I do, and just, you know, cycling through, you know, earthquake, quake takes, whatever they call it on PMT. <laughs> um, and I'm, I really enjoyed that stuff, and so I don't Obviously, the the talk of the town is the sexualization of uh, Shakira yeah. and Jennifer Lopez. To put it kindly, right? I'm putting, I'm, I'm, I'm using my, I'm picking my words carefully here. Um, and there was a lot of hilarious reactions from random adults that you would not expect to have that type of reaction, right? You know, you look at Michael Wilbon, Jeb Mike Bush. Michael yeah. <laughs> Je- Jeb Bush, obviously, was pretty hilarious. Um, Jonathan Antetokounmpo's re- reaction on Twitter was yeah. hilarious. Um, but so you get all these reactions, right? And then you've got – so on top of all these guys who are kind of, you know, you know what they're doing, right? They're, they're interested. And then you've got <laughs> – and then you've got the Karens, right? And I'm sure a lot of you guys have really enjoyed the, the Karens in, on Twitter who have been talking about how that the performance was not for kids' eyes, how you know it's uh, degrading to women because they're wearing skimpy clothing. And then I saw one about a stripper pole when that was, that was not a stripper pole. That was just a regular type of pole. Um, <laughs> just like the, all the outrageous takes and stuff, right? Okay? So – that's what happened at the halftime show. That's what if for those of you who are not on Twitter or heard have not been paying attention to, you know, all these hilarious takes and whatever, that's what's going on. That's the kind of the dynamic that we're seeing coming out of this halftime show. You've got people saying it's the best ever. Um, you got people saying it's the best ever because of how hot Shakira and Jennifer Lopez are. Um, you've got some more, you know, more I guess uh 
intelligent takes or more uh, uh, the little better etiquette, I suppose, that are talking about the cool performance by Jennifer Lopez's daughter and how great she was on you know the biggest stage on the planet. All of that stuff is going on. Now, here's my thoughts, okay? So, obviously, Shakira is a smoke show, and obviously, Jennifer Lopez is hot. Like, we're not getting past that. I'm not going to deny any of that kind of stuff. What I want to get into is the fact that Adam Levine, last year from Maroon 5, was doing the exact same thing, the exact same thing, at last year's halftime show, okay? You guys remember this? Adam Levine from Maroon 5 did the halftime show last year. He took off his shirt. He's an incredibly handsome human being. I don't like his tattoos, but that's beside the point. He's, he's, women were objectifying him last year, right? That's fair to say? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So last year, there were no Karens. There were guys saying, damn, I wish I looked like Adam Levine, or um, this guy is unreal, or I hate Maroon 5, and you just hate him because you're jealous. Um there's all of that. There was that dynamic. But there was, no, there was no one in the world looking at Adam Levine and saying, don't take your shirt off. This is for there's, avert your eyes, children. Like, this is not for, this is not for you. This is, uh, this is, you know, this is, you know, there was, there's a PG showing in the minds of everyone last year. Just a guy with his shirt off. And now this year, you got the same thing, except for it's women on stage. And it's the women that are mad about it. Okay? So... Last year, these Karens, and I hope you guys understand what I'm saying with Karen, right? You, you know, the, the idea of a woman who, you know, has to talk to the manager anytime, something remotely uh, uncomfortable, wrong, uncomfortable, wrong, whatever. They have to talk to the manager. They've always got the short haircut. You know, they just, they look a specific way, right? All of those, all of those women last year were saying, were Oddling Adam Levine and talking about his six pack or you know his his muscles or just you know the fact that he is a handsome man in general, and now there's those same women and this pisses me off. This this pisses me off. I was thinking about this on my flight home today. This literally pisses me off because it's like you guys were doing. You are such hypocrites because you're mad about these women who are outrageously beautiful, like. 50 years old for J-Lo and you still look like that? What is wrong? What, what kind of DNA do you have? Like, what is what, what the hell happened? And then last year, you're just talking about, you know, how great Adam Levine is, how good looking he is. And you have this, you have the audacity to come at these women who, you know, they literally embodied what Miami is. And I'm sorry, if you don't like Miami, that's cool. I'm not a huge fan of Florida in general. But like, that's like what Miami is. It's a lot of Hispanic culture and uh, that type of, you know, upbeat music, which, again, I don't particularly care for. But ultimately, I thought this was one of the best halftime shows that you're going to see outside of Prince, just because it literally was the perfect for a Miami Super Bowl. It was perfect. It was everything that you could ask for. And I mean, again, the element of the fact that you got two beautiful women on stage is nice and all. But like, they're very talented, too. The lip syncing thing doesn't bother me. I was watching Colin Coward earlier, and uh, the lady who, uh, you know, is like kind of his assistant on the show brought up that, you know, what happens if the electricity goes out on stage and you like, or like the mic goes out, like you still want the music to be playing. These women are doing flips on the stage. Like, how are they going to sing these songs Yeah. at the same time? So the lip syncing thing doesn't even bother me. I mean, it's cool I if it's, you don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's better because I, so... My, my take on concerts is that they're like 99% of the time they're just not enjoyable because it doesn't sound good. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't sound good. I mean, it, it, am it I wrong there though? Sho- especially, no, you're not, but it does not shock me at all that you would not like concerts. Well, especially when, I mean, like you said, they were dancing like a ton and like, I mean, I mean, a, 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 any normal human being would be completely out of breath. Like there's no way you can sing right, well. Right. It's just impossible. So that's my thing with, with like obviously if there's somebody that's just standing in one spot seeing like you'd see an American Idol or something. That's one thing. But like so many of these concerts now are like, it's all about the, the visuals and the, perf- yeah, yeah. like the, the, you know, athletic acts on stage, if you will. And it's like, you can't sing well and still do that. So I don't know that I, I don't really have any take on the concert. Like, did you like it at all? Yeah. I mean, I was entertained by it. And that's, I mean, that's the point of it, right? Ultimately? Right. It's just like, as far as, yeah, I'm not like, the attire and all that, like whatever, you know, because I was uh, midway through the, the show, I was like, the <laughs> like they're wearing golf through. shirts. 
midway through the the halftime show and i'm like well goodness like this is you know if there are young eyes seeing this this is interesting and then there was like 50 children that came on stage and sang with i think Jayla. so i was like you know what Who cares? like it doesn't matter it was provocative it was definitely provocative yeah that's the word i'm looking for so i don't know it, halftime shows are halftime shows are always weird like concerts are weird right. left shark or whatever that was like that was so funny too like this is it, like that... all of it's weird all the time so i'm not that's just how concerts are nowadays. Music and, and artists are all weird. They're all it, – it's, it's, I, I can't relate. I can't relate. So yeah. <laughs> whatever. I just think – I just think it's so – you know. Your I, point, I do – I mean I agree with your point that you can't – there's there's a double standard there where like – I do remember last year how Adam Levine was dancing provocatively and he was – he had the shirt off and he was moving his tips in, a, in an interesting fashion. And it's like <laughs> – that's what he was doing i just i I love the 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 way that we're dancing around saying that these are you know attractive human beings doing sexual acts is hilarious yeah i mean that's that's what it was and it's just the i i haven't i didn't put it i didn't think of it this way the response to a, a a male performer versus female performers i didn't think of it that way and obviously you thought of it that way and it it's it's a good point i mean I just I love I think I honestly I enjoy the people that react negatively to things more than the people who have positive things to say just because it's so much more interesting. And you know, uh do you follow CJ Zero on Twitter? Yeah. He's like one of the best like, you know, media guy. Like he has literally if something funny happens on TV, it's on your Twitter feed within like 30 seconds. If you're not already following him, like do that immediately cuz it's the best. And <laughs> I was reading like the comments on the Shakira thing where he, she's doing the she looks like the uh uh damn what's the the SpongeBob episode where they got the magic conch and they're the doing con- like the, yeah, yeah. they're doing like the thing yeah, yeah, like yeah. Shakira did that. He posted a video and it literally like the co- the caption of it is just Shakira with an exclamation mark and it got like 34,000 likes and like 17,000 retweets or something like it did numbers, okay? And the comment section underneath it is just like it's hilarious. Like I highly high if you've got 20 minutes at work tomorrow just bored, read through it because you've got it's it's so perfect because you've got people in, you know, you know, the profile picture of like the person, like the male and the female who hate everything, who have a problem with everything. They're all they're all in there. And then you've also got the kind of the, the creepy kind of interesting guys who don't seem to care what other people think of what they say on the Internet in there. And, you know, like just like it, it's perfect. And I really, really enjoy Well, then you that. got the people that are actually really funny and like great yeah. at you know using memes like that to or using a video like that to create a meme which right. is the best part about twitter during the a- performance absolutely yeah it was highly highly entertaining i thought it was a great show and i don't like the music um i don't need a sexual performance like that to be entertained by the halftime show but just as a as a whole um that's the way that i looked at it and i would challenge you to look at it the same way with you know because next year it's probably going to be another male performer and you know granted you know the way that male performers typically look i would assume we will see something like that next year and we're going to get the double standard again and i would challenge you as an adult to look at that with a you know an an objective eye into the way you're you know evaluating the performance if you are a karen or a greg i guess is probably the equivalent of a karen (laughs) (laughs) just don't be that person please and if you are like hide it a little bit better because i i just don't get it like there's no reason to complain about that stuff but those are my thoughts on the halftime show those are my thoughts on the super bowl um let's talk about the vikings let's make a quick transition here break this thing down and that'll be it for the show so uh this transition is awful by the way uh because i there's not there's no i've got nothing creative here to to lead into so i'm just going to jump right into it so the vikings defense last year uh, not the Vikings defense that we've seen of old. It was not, you know, since Mike Zimmer arrived in 2014, we have watched this team, this defense basically evolve year after year after year, right? In 2014, when he arrived, he had a couple of playmakers on defense. Harrison Smith, you know, Everson Griffin got that big contract that'll 
my at least me for sure um, said was stupid and ridiculous um, and a lot of things you know changed it, the defense evolved Xavier Rhodes became a an unbelievable player within about a year and a half we saw the evolution of his game from being you know a handsy solid cornerback to arguably the best in the league during the 2017 season um, he had a Stefan Gilmore type year in 2017 um, you saw kind of the evolution of guys like Trey Waynes, who, you know, Waynes has never hit the number 11 overall pick mark, in my opinion, but he certainly has gotten better over the years, and you've seen the way that he's played. You know, the evolution of Anthony Harris has been awesome to watch. Harrison Smith went from being a very good player to an elite, elite, elite Hall of Fame caliber player. Um, Daniil Hunter's, you know, development has been incredible. You know, Brian Robinson became a very, very serviceable, if not, you know, Pro Bowl, outside Pro Bowl caliber player um, under Mike Zimmer. The linebackers, you know, the way that Anthony Barr has played um, since he's arrived, Eric Kendricks' development. My point being here is that this is basically the first season, you know, maybe 2018 a little bit, but the defense was still pretty damn good last year. This is really the first season that we've seen a significant drop off from this defense. And, um, or, you know, like this defense well, is still I good. Think there's, but, it is. I think there's two kind of position groups maybe that you can kind of point to just for the drop-off. I think interior defensive line, I think Linball kind of, I don't want to say plateaued, but there's, I mean, he like wasn't as word. effective. It that seems, seems like, oh, that, that, well, it's that, plus like, you know, Sheldon Richardson being gone, clearly there was a hole that wasn't quite filled completely there. Not at all. There is, really. a, you know, a lack of, I mean, Sheldon Richardson's a stud, mm-hmm. and I think his, at least from the pass rushing perspective, that was a big deal. But also, you know, against the run, I think the Vikings were in a few games this year, kind of really beaten up in the uh, interior of the of the line. I think the Seattle game specifically comes to mind there. Kansas City, um, Green Bay, the second yep. time too. Long plays that we're yep. not used to seeing. Right, right, right. And then obviously cornerbacks is the other one, which is, I mean, it's possible the Vikings have, you know, three, four new cornerbacks on the roster next mm-hmm. season. I mean, Xavier Rhodes could be gone. Trey Waynes could be gone. Mackenzie Alexander could be gone. You probably get one of those guys back. If we're being realistic right. here, one of those guys is coming back. Yeah, and I mean, really the only guy I'm confident is going to be back and playing a significant role is Mike Hughes. Uh, so, I mean, that's I mean, it, the safeties are tremendous, right? Harrison Smith and, and Anthony Harris, who, by the way, also needs to be brought back somehow, some way, because Anthony Harris is going to get paid by somebody because he's He's very good. Yep. Uh, Eric Kendricks, phenomenal. Anthony Barr is kind of, I mean, I, he's athletic. He can, he's rangy. Uh, um, I wouldn't say he's a superstar, uh, but he can certainly play. And Instincts he's a very, sure. very um, yeah, serviceable, at the very least, uh, kind of counterpart to Eric Kendricks. And then obviously at defensive end, Everson and, and, Dan, and Daniel Hunter, both fantastic. And then Fadio Denebo, also fantastic as kind of your rotational guy. And if, Griffin is not able to be brought back or they don't restructure whatever the case may be. I trust Odenabo to be that guy to kind of slide in and uh, be a, you know, a solid, reliable um, bookend on that defensive line uh, opposite Neil Hunter. So really to me, it's just interior defensive line and your cornerbacks. Those two positions, position groups need to be addressed, need to be improved. And once that happens and however Mike Zimmer wants to do that, I think the Vikings defense will be rebounded a little bit in 2020. So, couple things here that I want to highlight before we move on to kind of the second phase of how we're going to evaluate this performance by this unit. Um, first of all, props to us, more you than me, but us in general for pointing to Anthony Harris as a rookie undrafted out of Virginia. We said that this, this was going to happen. We called this, we called this from four years out that this season was coming. If he could, if he could put some mass on that body, he was going to be a Ed Reed type type not- I remember it was the it was the Chicago game in 2015 when he I think he got the start out of kind of nowhere because there was some injuries and he played that he I mean, he had a couple of really big plays in that game uh, where you could see like the range you know like kind of that right. center fielding type range where he could he had the instincts and the range at the time he was just kind of a twig and I think and then you kind of think a couple of weeks later they played that Arizona game where he uh, got like destroyed Larry by Larry Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald on the block yeah. you know I think or maybe Michael Floyd did one two down the field where you could just tell, okay, this guy is way too small. But obviously now, if you look at him, he's, he's a unit. He's a big dude. And he booked up. And uh, he's he's more than big enough to play start, a starting safety position in the NFL. And he's a stud, clearly. Absolutely. Okay, and the second thing that I wanted to highlight here, and 
this kind of goes back on what I was chirping the Vikings for on the last episode when we were talking about coaches. You know, I was talking about the dynamic of having two defensive coordinators yeah. and how weird that is and how I ultimately think it's kind of dumb and that it's basically just, you know, a title change and a reason to give them a, a pay raise. Um, I Look at it like this. <clears throat> I just thought of this, honestly, right now. Um, the three guys that are going to be heading this defense now, right? Um, Andre Patterson, Adam Zimmer, Mike Zimmer. There are three special specialties and the roles that they are retaining, by the way. Uh, Andre Patterson, defensive line. We know his history. I talk about it all the time and probably too much. Adam Zimmer, um, you know, he's been very, very good with the development of Barr. Well, more Kendricks than Barr, but Barr is still very good. Maybe a little bit overpaid, but still very good. And Eric Wilson you can point to as well. And you've gotten very good um, – you've gotten very good – snaps from Ben Gideon relative to where he was drafted to. So he's done a nice job with the linebackers. And obviously Mike Zimmer is the defensive back guy. He's a cornerback whisperer. You know, he's, we've been talking about this since basically since he's arrived. Um, you know, I remember when he was hired, everyone was talking about how the impact he could have on Xavier Rhodes. And then immediately he drafts Trey Waynes too. And the cornerback fever that he's had in the draft, you know, uh, whether it's Mackenzie Alexander in the second round, Mike Hughes again in the first round, all that. So I think it's funny that the guy who's slipping right now in that room is Mike Zimmer because it's the defensive backs group that is the biggest problem right now after looking at this season. Because now you've yeah. got these three guys. You've got three guys that are going to be in the defensive room that are going to be heading the heading the you know the group meetings and um, you know watching film and whatnot. You've got Patterson to break down D-line. Adam Zimmer to bring to break down linebackers and Mike Zimmer to bring down defensive backs. How does Mike Zimmer sit there and be tell Andre Patterson what to do when his guys aren't doing what his job? Well, I mean, it's it, part of that. I mean, we, we can't just put that all on Zimmer and, you know, we maybe can. it's we might, though. You no, know, maybe it's gray. Right. Right. I though, mean, yeah. plus, you know, as now, I don't know what the responsibilities are of head coach, you know, or defensive coordinator or whatever it may be in the NFL, but like, it's you know the scheme that you know they put together and the game planning and, and and all of that I'm sure is way more of his responsibility than player development. Um, I'm sure he installs. My right. initial right. thought is he installs certain uh, traits or certain skill sets that he wants his players to have, and then kind of the, the position coaches make sure that's installed and the players get that. But I mean, you're right in that it's clearly the cornerbacks with his the guys that they have either something didn't click last year or maybe Xavier Rhodes is just, you know, I don't want to say over the hill, but maybe that's it. Maybe he's just, there's a wall in terms of age that he hit where you can't do, I don't know. Well, let's, but let's, it, it, there's something, there's something there. And I, I don't think there's going to be a power dynamic or power struggle or anything like that. Mike Zimmer is clearly still right, right. a top five, if not better defensive coach in football. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's parlay that right off of, uh, what you're talking about and go right into the defensive back group. Um, talk about them a little bit more here in depth um so this group for the most part uh you know there are other names in this list but the guys that i want to talk about specifically you got xavier rhodes trey waynes mackenzie alexander mike hughes uh those and then i guess we could talk a little bit about holton hill as well those are your main primary five cornerbacks then you've got the two safeties harrison smith and anthony harris andrew sandejo who comes back to the vikings and you know did his thing a little bit and then you got jaron curse who is a is as unhappy of a player as I've yeah. ever seen. He's been pretty vocal about the fact that he seems to want out. And I, I, to some degree, I understand it because when he was on the field this year, which wasn't a lot of, a lot of snaps, but when he was on the field, he was making plays. He, uh, you know, he basically won the game with those last few plays for the against the Broncos. Shut down Noah Fant a couple times in the red zone. Um, you know, I think he played like two snaps in the Cowboys game, but one of them was breaking up the Hail Mary to win the game. He was a stud in the preseason. So it seemed like he hasn't really gotten his fair shot to be sort of that um, that third safety rotational guy or and or nickel cornerback that he could be. So mm-hmm. I understand that. And I get that they wanted to bring bring in Sandejo, a guy that they trust um, with the secondary kind of having issues. But it seems like Curse should have been getting a little bit more of a shot than he did. Yeah, I, I second – I echo all of your thoughts on that. Uh, Curse was excellent this year when given the opportunity, and he will not be back in Minnesota, which opens up yet another hole in this defensive back group. Then there's Andrew Sandejo, and I don't know. He – honestly, this was the best I've seen him play in a Vikings uniform, and the first reason for that is that he wasn't as reckless in general. He didn't kill anyone this time around. No one got knocked out on his watch. 
Um, he was effective tackler, and honestly, he, he did up... knock somebody out for Philly though this year. Right. Yeah. A few and, times probably. But yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, he did. Which do that. If, it's, if he's gonna do it for Philly, that's fine with me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, but he might be coming back, and you know, theoretically speaking, he might be a good fit, especially given the holes that might instantly appear in a couple Apparently weeks. Apparently he can kind of play slot cornerback. So, like, I mean. He was not bad against the, the Saints. He was not bad. Right. It wasn't bad, which. I thought it would be. That, that, oh, yeah. I thought it would be, too. So, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 yeah, sure. Bring him back. If he if he's okay playing kind of. Now, obviously, I don't, I'd much rather the Vikings find a way to pay Anthony Harris and have right. Sandejo be sort of your backup safety that could play both those roles, plus slide into slot corner if absolutely you know, last case scenario needed. Um, but at the very least, you like him as a veteran guy who knows where to be, when to be in the Mike Zimmer defense. Now, J. Ron Curtis's talent, uh, we don't know what ha- happens behind closed doors, but that that he seems like a, a pretty big loss that, you know, could, if, if given the right opportunity, could be a pretty solid piece for some other defense down the road. Seems like It seems like one of those where New England picks him up and he becomes really good, but... He does seem like a perfect New England player just because of the way Belichick likes to employ guys where he just picks their best traits and puts them in that spot and that spot alone. All right, so we both agree here that the backups performed admirably at the safety position. Um, The starters, of course, you know, elite, elite, elite year. Like, is it fair? Number one and number two in PFF. Okay, yeah, so there's that first and foremost. Is it fair to say that this is the best safety combination the Vikings have had since – Ever since, since Paul Krause, it has maybe? to be right. We're now. This is. I might sound really stupid asking this question, but were Joey Browner and Paul Krause ever on the team together? I think Browner I was after yes. Krause, right? But Browner was, was a corner. So was he? Yeah, he played a little safety oh, too, well. but he was basically okay. he was more of a defensive back just in general. A little bit, obviously, a lot. Diff, the games changed so much since you know then. Yeah. But, okay. Well, um, that would be the only thing in my mind that would that would come close. I know. And if you're talking interception numbers, I think that twenty or that two thousand three season with like Corey Chavis and Brian Russell, they had like eight or nine interceptions each. But obviously there's way more that goes into the safety position. There's the Darren Sharper year. I mean, obviously we don't talk about Darren Sharper, but there's the Darren Sharper year where it was him and who was I can't even remember. Honestly, dude, it's been so long. They had uh there was Medea Williams, there yeah, was that's who it was that's who I'm thinking. It was it was Williams. It was Williams was the main guy. Um, yeah. so anyways, the point being here, best safety performance probably yeah in the last 10 years at the very least if not in a very in an even longer time than that maybe 25 years oh, yeah. something like that uh, hard to argue with that you know Harrison Smith comes into the box does his thing Anthony Harris is the perfect compliment the Vikings have been looking for that type of guy and this just you know uh, reinforces your earlier you know claim that we he needs to come back because he's the perfect compliment to Smith especially with Harrison getting a little bit up there in age he's just turned 31 years old um, he's not going to be able to cover guys the way you know, that's always kind of been his weakness, the man coverage skills, zone coverage, you know, instincts that are able to take over a little bit. But as his athleticism begins to decrease and he becomes, you know, more of a human, I suppose, um, being in the box is where Harrison Smith is going to finish his career, I would I would assume. Um, yeah. Unless he's playing off straight instincts in zone. Um, so Harris needs to come back. Um, he had the best – one of the best safety, free safe, like peer free safety performances that I have seen in a very long time, it's for sure for this organization, and, and you can extend that out to you know other teams as well. It yeah. is an Earl ap- Thomas is probably the the one guy that you would put right. above Anthony Harris over the last few years for sure. Right, um, but there's other guys too, obviously. But like we're just from a Vikings lens, we're right. looking at this, and we haven't seen a, co- a counterpart to Harrison Smith, you know, in a while, and. You, it's tough to like quantify how much damage control those guys did for these cornerbacks, but I mean, my goodness, uh, how many times did be those corners get beaten one on one, and then who knows how many times you know a third and eight was saved by with a coverage sack maybe because Harrison and uh, Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris were maybe uh, reading the play right or whatever what have you. Um, so it's you can't quantify that type of thing, but I think. Um, it could have been it, a lot worse. Those two guys, those two guys need a lot of credit because who knows? Those cornerbacks look terrible this year, and, and that's if the Vikings. Who knows? The Vikings are for sure probably not winning a playoff game. 
who knows how many wins they have if, if Harrison Smith is trying to do that by himself. And that's a perfect segue into the cornerback position. So Rhodes, uh, worst season of his career. So I want to say something first before we get into the cornerbacks. Please do. Now this is I don't this I'm not going to put this on the cornerback players, the individuals themselves. This seems like, uh, and it seems like a lot of teams do this, but it seems like the Vikings in particular did this a lot this year. Third and four, third and two, third and three. You got your corners playing off eight yards. So then you have receivers running a five-yard hitch, running a five-yard slant, running a five-yard, you know, in route, whatever it is, and getting the first down with ease. Especially when you have a guy like Xavier Rhodes, Mackenzie Alexander, those guys that do pretty well at the line of scrimmage, bodying guys, press coverage. That seems to me now. This is I'm no coach by any means, but like when those guys are their strength is kind of getting physical at the line of scrimmage you should do use that especially on those third and short situations where like you would you're tr- you're trying to minimize you know the short passing game right like that's how right. teams try to convert those third and short so from that perspective i don't that like i'm removing some blame from these corners because it seems like a lot of times in those key third and shorts third and mediums they were not put in the right position to uh to succeed I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know. That's no, no, just, I a, think that's a, fair just a scenario point. in a lot of games that I saw, and it was frustrating. The difference between press and zone coverage for Xavier Rhodes is like night and day, right? Like the way that he performs when he can get his hands on somebody and he can kind of move their body off the line of scrimmage is just significantly different than when he's you know playing 7 to 12 yards off. Like it just doesn't make sense. So that to me, that's a Zimmer problem. That's something he's got to look in the mirror. And, he, and for what it's worth, Zimmer's gotten a lot better at looking in the mirror um, during the offseason um, as he's, you know, aged as a head coach. Uh, but Xavier Rhodes is a product of, you know, his excellence as a, as a defensive guy and also, you know, some of his stubborn qualities as well where he thinks his scheme's going to work no matter what. And how, can you really blame him, you know, after all the success he's had throughout his career? Like he thinks anything can – he can make anyone work in any sort of role. Um, and I think that Rhodes kind of got a raw deal to – a degree, but at the same time, he was also awful. You know, like there's there's so many plays where he just didn't get his head yeah. around. He wasn't in the right place, or you know, uh, someone wasn't in the right place, and it certainly seemed like it was Rhodes who screwed it up. Um, <clears throat> point being here is ultimately, I think that he played himself out of Minnesota. Um, you know, relative to his contract situation, it's the perfect way to find money for Anthony Harris. Let Xavier Rhodes go. I'm okay with it, and I'll be real with you. He is my favorite Vikings player in history. So that that's going to hurt when that day comes for me. Um, I love Xavier Rhodes. I loved talking to him. I loved covering him. I loved watching his film. Uh, you know, all of those things for me were awesome. I have a jersey the, hanging in my how about that moment of his the OBJ Monday Night Game 2016. That was one of the best ever. One of ever. the most fun games I've had or I've watched just because of the way he was able to rile up OBJ and completely take him out of the game for a Giants team that needed his talent more than anything. That was great. And it was all Rhodes instigating it. And he was like, that was his prime 2016, 2017 using, it wasn't just his skills on the field, which were great, but like he did seem to jaw with other players and it seemed to be, it seemed to work. Like he didn't talk for his first four years either. Right. He seemed to get, understand the gamesmanship part of playing cornerback, the the cockiness, the confidence and how he used that to his benefit, which is what, you know, like Richard Sherman, you know, did that better than anybody and even i saw someone talk about daryl uh, revis last couple of weeks saying like he wouldn't say a single word but it like affected the receivers because right. like they would even when they would you know revis would shut him down and you know knock a pass away didn't say a word just like stared at him you know right. so like it's whatever it works obviously it's different for every cornerback but like Rhodes found a way obviously with obj antonio brown julio jones all these guys yep. to keep them under wraps like three for 30 every time right that they would play the vikings and you could see on the field he was jawing with him saying i don't know i'm not gonna act like i know what it was but something was working and those two years it was really fun to watch him yeah so that'll be disappointing but necessary uh then you got trey waynes and mackenzie alexander um you know to simplify their existence in minnesota moving forward here which one would you rather have back based off their performance this year um i think i think i want to say mac just because i think he's more versatile uh, you know, I think he obviously can play slot, but I think he can also play outside. And obviously, if you throw wins in the slot, you're not going to end up in a good spot. So I think for that perspective, from that perspective, I'll take Mac moving forward. Um, a little bit younger too. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the problem though with that is I do th- I do know Zimmer likes to have a taller cornerback, and so that would leave you with Hughes and Mackenzie Alexander kind of as your your only two corners. And I would imagine he will go. There will the be a rookie round. He'll try it's, and find. He'll try to find a six round. foot two corner. Yeah. So it's happening. That's that's what you're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm here and for it. I know a lot of Vikings fans are thinking the possibility of trading up for a quarterback or taking a quarterback in the first round. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Don't even, <laughs> don't even think about it. And, and, and as much as I would personally like to take a quarterback high in the draft, like I, that's just, I think it's, you know, that's part of the NFL. Now you got to have quarterbacks. You don't want Sean Mannion as your backup, but you definitely do not. Yeah. But this based on Rick Spielman's history, based on his organization's history, uh, they're going to roll with Kirk cousins in 2020. And it's kind of make or break with him. And Mike Zimmer loves to take his defensive backs in the first round of the NFL draft. So he's going to do that, especially after the way his cornerbacks played last year. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think they're, you know, we don't really, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think much more needs to be said on that front. Obviously, the, the cornerback group, the, the top three guys, with the exception of a couple of solid games from Alexander before he got hurt, was not good. And we're probably, we're probably looking at Mike Hughes, Holton Hill, and. That's a big guy. Holton Hill's got size. Right. If he can uh, stay on the field. That's true. So Holton Hill, Mike Hughes, and then I'm my guess is Mackenzie Alexander gets an extension. Nickel corners contracts are also significantly smaller than outside corners, generally speaking. And then probably Chris Boyd, who had a solid rookie season when called upon. Um, and then a rookie. That's probably what we're looking at based off of the performance of this group last this year. Now, corner – excuse me, defensive line I think is pretty straightforward. You know, I don't think we need to dive too in-depth with the performance of this unit this year. Daniil Hunter has solidified himself as arguably the best 4-3 defensive end in football. Um, he's a pressure machine. He gets home more than ever in his entire career, and he's really only getting better. I don't think anything else needs to be said on that front. Everson Griffin on the flip side, comeback year, outstanding. Great to see him back to being who you know, who he is, um, getting the, the mental side of his game straight, um, and really his personal life as well, which is awesome to see. Um, Odenigbo, as you mentioned, I think he's, you know, a little bit more fun and a little bit more interesting to talk about because he's such a fun story, such a fun human being in general. Um, you know, it's nice to see him coming on here. You got, you kind of got a bit of a decision here is who's going to be your number three. Is it going to be Steven Weatherly or is it going to be Odenigbo? And I think based off what we've seen this year, not that Weatherly was like bad or anything. I just think Odenabo has exceeded expectations. He's a playmaker. So yeah, a, he yeah. is. Yeah, so I, I like him a lot, and that's the thing. What I was saying, like Everson, for as good as he was this year, like I know it's a financial thing. This team is in cap hell right now. Yeah. Uh, so, and that might just be you know a business decision that has to be made with Everson Griffin, either restructure or just let loose. And with that said, you know I think Odenabo can fill that void without much of a, a gap in terms of performance. So. That might be one that I make just because it seemed like when he was in the game, he was, you know, he had an effect on the quarterback, right. which is what you want out of your third kind of rotational defensive end. Plus, you know that Zimmer's going to draft a defensive end in the third round. So that's just what happens in yeah. this state. So uh, on the interior, you mentioned it earlier, Joseph, not quite the same guy he was the last couple of years. Still effective, still big. Um, but he's not as much of a pass rushing talent anymore. He's become more of a pure nose, kind of what yeah. we have come to expect from that position um, over the last several years. And then Shamar Stefan, um, I'm just going to be very frank with you all. He needs to go. I can't stand the guy. He's a one-trick pony who is just a beefcake that stands in the middle there and eats up blocks. Like he's really – that's all he is to me. When I, you know, when I rewatch these games every once in a while, he's just not a guy that flashes on the screen ever. I think he's a very nice role player that plays 10 snaps at the most. And I would give those snaps to me, I'd give those to Jaleel Johnson, who you know thinks the Vikings are winning the Super Bowl next year, and I can get behind that. So, um, you know, I, I think that we're going to see a massive, massive changes on both of these two um, uh, positional units. Over, yeah. Well, over the, the problem years. is, you, you, in what in one sense, yes, I think there's going to be a lot of changes, but also they're very limited as to what they can do. Like they right. don't just have the freedom to do whatever they want. So, they have to get very creative. Obviously. Rob uh, Brzezinski is as creative and as effective at manipulating that cap as anybody. So who knows what's going to happen, but like they changes need to be made and we don't even, we can't even comprehend what kind of changes are able to be made. Uh, <laughs> That's the truth. What do they have? Like minus 10 million in cap or I don't even it's, know what it I is. I think it's but more than that. It's, it's, it's not it's, good folks. It's bad. It's bad. So I, 
who knows? Obviously, top of my head, Riley Reef, uh, Everson Griffin, um, Xavier Rhodes, Xavier Rhodes, and then maybe, maybe one Harris, I've heard maybe Harrison I've, Smith. I've heard Harrison Smith as a trade, like a trade bait Ooh, type like of guy. That. I don't like I've, that. I've heard, I've seen way too much discussion about Stefan Diggs as a trade candidate that needs to stop. And you know he's reading it now, by the way. Based oh off, yeah, yeah. It's stop doing that. Don't be that guy. Uh, I love that guy. There's yeah, Kyle Rudolph is another one that I, I would really hate to see him leave just because he's awesome to root for. But another guy that just there's going to be. It, it, I know it seems impossible every single year, but he pulls it off. But this seems like just insurmountable. Like the the cap situation and keeping all the guys. I, I, I don't know how he'll pull it off. If he does pull it off, then by word, Bill Thigham a statue. And really, that statue should have already been in the process of being built after what he was able to pull off last year. For uh, real, though, for real, if, the, if hypothetically if the Vikings do win the Super Bowl in 2020 and they're able to retain all these guys somehow, like he actually should get it. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. Yes. Give him a statue at Bank Stadium. All right, last position group here, and then we're out. Uh, linebackers, Anthony Barrier, Kendricks, Eric Wilson. Um, I don't think we need to touch much on Ben Gideon, given that he missed most of the season yeah. with an injury. So those are your three guys, and I think those are your three guys next year too, by the way. Yeah. And, it's Eric, Eric Kendricks is a stud. Absolutely. Anthony Barr is, is solid. You know, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say Anthony Barr is maybe living up to that first-round draft status anymore, but Eric Kendricks is living up to first-round draft status, even though he was a second-round pick, so it kind of makes up for it. Um, then Gideon and Eric Wilson, there's like not much to talk about because Vikings are in nickel all the time. Uh, Eric Wilson is very athletic and becoming more instinctual. Ben Gideon is is fine. As He's instincts kind of, alone. That's it with yeah, Gideon. So that's that's about it. That's like all I have to say. It's uh, it, the linebacker position in Minnesota is fine. It it can get better, but I'm not expecting it to just based off where they're at right now. So there's two questions coming off that. I think we basically just answered one of them. Eric Wilson or Ben Gideon next year. I like Wilson. Okay, I do too. Um, I think that should be set in stone. I don't know what Zimmer's problem is. I think he likes to have – I don't know why he likes to have that stay-at-home, you know, pure, like – makes me think of uh, Brandon Spikes. Do you remember Brandon Spikes? Uh, the the mm-hmm. guy that – Bagley. Should, he was played for New England for several years, and he was an outstanding run-stopper, uh, but he was not right for this era of the NFL. Couldn't cover anyone. He would have been perfect for, like, the 70s or 80s. Not good this year – or, excuse me, this generation. Um that's who Ben Gideon reminds me of, and Spikes was considerably, considerably more talented, more athletic, a lot better player. Um, but that's what I see in Gideon. He's just, it's just straight instincts. He can't cover anything. Um, he's not built for this type of NFL. So I'm going Eric Wilson all the way. I loved what I saw from him in his development this year. I loved him as an undrafted guy out of Cincinnati. I know that J- uh, Jordan Reed, our guy, uh, banged the table for him when you know the Vikings picked him up. I'd love to see him in a starting role next year. Final question here. Anthony Barr, we got, I just want to touch on him a little bit more. Two things on him. One, was the contract extension, looking back after just one year, fail or – I mean, Refresh fail or okay. Refresh me on what the actual terms of the deal are because, um, yeah, I mean, that's – obviously that's going to be a little bit of a factor into what uh, – you know, how I evaluate the deal. Um, I mean, he's – like it's it's not like he's a bad. I'm not trying to frame him as a bad player. He, I think he needs to be used more as a blitzer than he is, because I think he's is very effective when he does blitz and when he does rush the passer. He's very, uh, he seems to, it seems like his his hit rate in terms of when the blitz is being successful is very high compared to other linebackers, especially in four three. So this is my uh, I would like to see that. Yeah, I would like to see that a little bit more. But I mean, he's is a very rangy, very. Uh, um, athletic linebacker that he certainly can play. He's more than serviceable next to Kendricks. So it's a five-year, $67.5 million contract with incentives built, built in around it. You're looking at a $10 million base salary next year, a cap hit of $12.7 okay. million. Dollars. That was just signed after – that was signed before 2019, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say he's living up to the contract, like you said, I think, before. Um, right, and I agree. You said he, I mean, but the problem that, like – this is why I don't like the Pro Bowl so much. I just don't like the Pro Bowl selections is because I, I imagine that like his agent is using the, his Pro Bowl selections over the years as leverage. And like Xavier Rhodes is probably going to get that same thing from some team this offseason yeah. too. And I don't like it because it just it's it's a popularity contest more than anything. 
than the actual Name evaluating performance. Like, was it twenty? Was it last? Was it twenty eighteen? When like, or twenty? I think it was twenty eighteen. Bar like the super kind of down year, and nobody thought of and, like it was kind of like the way Rhodes played this year, where it was just right. like, and he snuck into as a Pro Bowler, and it's like what? So I don't know. Uh, that was that's a, that's a tangent. He needs to play I, better. I think, and but he needs to yeah, be like, used differently. Okay, how about I'll put it this way: if I was going to rate him on Madden, <laughs> I'd put him at like eighty-three overall. That's you know, like, literally what I was just going to say. Exactly, it's like solid. Yeah, solid. You know, I don't know what his rating is. It might be that. It might be worse or higher. I don't know. I think his role needs to change too. And I think this might be an open. This might be like a, we might have a seam here to open him up for more opportunities as a pass rusher with Everson Griffin potentially gone. We might see him sit. You know, we talked about this during training camp. He might be putting his hand in the dirt more next year, and that will make his contract, like, you know, the value of his position will increase dramatically if that happens. But as a whole, yeah, 83 is a great is a great number. Um, that's basically what he is, and that is not worth $10 million next year. Um, for what no. it's worth, potential out, I'm looking at spot rack right now, potential out in 2021, which would make it a two-year $26 million contract with 7.8 in dead cap. Um, but then you can get out from underneath the dead cap of 5.2 and 2.6 in 2022 and 2023. Something to keep an eye on heading into next year. Uh, but as a whole, Anthony Barr needs to play better. Still a solid player. Needs to play better to live up to that contract. Eric Kendricks, electric player, finally getting the recognition that he deserves. I'm thrilled about that. And Eric Wilson, to me, slots in as your um, your other outside cornerback next season. Uh, I don't see any way around that unless the Vikings find a way to get some superstar talent at linebacker in the draft. And let's be real here, that's not going to happen given the other needs on this roster. So um, that, I believe, concludes our defensive uh, overview here and kind of the um, the outlook heading into next year You know, in brief. So um, ultimately, just give me a grade. What, uh, what does the defense do get from you this year? Uh, like a B plus. Um, I mean, it's still a really good defense. Like we kind of nitpick and critique it quite a bit, but like, you know, safeties are studs. Um, you have a really, really good kind of star linebacker and then two great pass rushers. So yeah, I mean, this is, I, I think still, uh, a top five to 10 defense in the NFL. So I'll go B plus, And I think if they can, get more reliable play from cornerback and interior defensive line they'll move up and kind of regain that 2017 form i'm gonna go b minus just because the cornerback performance this year was just it was so dreadful that it it just it 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 kills everything else because think about how much better the defensive line could have performed you know uh, from a statistical standpoint if the coverage was better on the outside Uh, that just it, it killed the entire defense this year it drained them in terms of you know allowing first downs to extend drives the corner cornerback group they need to find a way um, otherwise this team is not this team's not getting to the promised land um, with this group playing the way it currently is and I think we're going to see a dramatic shift we're going to see a lot of changes here a lot of very fun familiar faces guys that we have come to love and feel like we know on a personal level are likely going to be gone this year and that's going to be um, disappointing but um, and you know uh, you know it's, it's going to be rough this is going to be a rough off season for me personally because I you know, I trace I trace my Vikings roots really back to 2009, but like really where I became intensely interested in terms of a cover, like you know, watching this team in order to provide content was 2014 when Mike Zimmer arrived. That was right when I graduated from college. That's when I started writing about sports. When we started doing podcasts and all that stuff, uh, and a lot of these guys are. You know, mm-hmm. they're aging out. And so this is going to be a difficult offseason. It's not going to be fun to watch, but um, the, the changes are coming, and we have to embrace it um, as fans and uh, as analysts or amateurs or whatever the hell you want to call us. Um, that's, what's, uh, that's what's coming here, and that's um, a reflection of the play this season. So that rounds out um, today's show, um, and it effectively rounds out the first season of the Unbelievable Podcast. Now, I want to quick um, say thank you to you guys um, because uh, this has been a lot of fun uh, being back doing podcasts with Drew again. Um, we took the year off, obviously, after uh, moving on from the, about the labor brand and um, giving that to um, Vikings territory to do what they want to do with it. Um, and uh, coming back this year, uh, the first episode we did, I looked these up before the show. Uh, we got 36 listens on the very first episode of this show. 
um, which was disappointing. I immediately lost the only um, advertiser that we had lined up. No money was coming into our pockets with those numbers. Um, so that was super disappointing. Um, <clears throat> but the way that this show has developed over the course of this first season doing it, uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. We're now averaging right around 1,200 um, and that's largely in part to the partnership with Daily Norseman and Climbing the Pocket, which has been um, great, and I'm thrilled about that. But I had a lot of fun this year, and I'm very thankful to those of you out there who um, listen to the show regularly and will hopefully continue to listen to the show during the off offseason. Um, it's, uh, it makes it fun to do. Um, you know, obviously we don't get paid very much to do this. So uh, for those of you that do interact with us and, you know, engage with the show and that, it, it means a lot. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it makes this thing worth doing. And I just want to say thank you. And I hope you enjoyed the first season of kind of this new branded show uh, that you and I started up this past August. So um, we'll head into the off season next episode. Uh, that is, you know, that's what we'll be talking about. We'll start looking forward to the draft, free agency, um, what the hell to do with this cap situation. I'll have to do some research to get some, uh, mm-hmm. you know, unique content um, because I, I'm, I'm no Rob Brzezinski. Math is not my forte. But, um, yeah, so that's the game plan moving forward here. We'll have a show continuing every, every Wednesday. Um, that's the plan. Uh, but, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to listen. Um, continue to enjoy the <clears> – <throat> excuse me, uh, the Climbing the Pocket Network. Um, make sure to listen to those other shows that are available um, on Daily Nor- Norseman. Use that comment section. Find us on Twitter. Um, do your thing. Subscribe on iTunes. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your dad. Um, you know, we, uh, we enjoy doing this content, and we, continu- we plan to continue doing this for the foreseeable future. So uh, thank you for making this first season fun for us. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Uh, and we will be back next week with some, uh, some fresh off-season content uh, you know, with the 2020 season officially over and the 100-year campaign finally over. So we are done seeing advertisements for all that crap. So um, thank you, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Oh.